Hello and welcome to the Use Because podcast. Deeper learning from the best business minds to have ever put pen to paper. If you're sick of the, the self-help book, you know, Think Positive and uh, Set Goals and all that kind of stuff, if you're a little bit bored and find it a little bit difficult, then I have the book for you. It's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. I thought this book was going to be a little kind of fluffy and um, uh, light-hearted, but in fact, it's really, really profound. And it's the subject of this week's episode, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. One of the things this book does really well is uh, use bad language. <laughs> it's actually, it can come across as as trying to be too cool sometimes when you use bad language just for the sake of it, but the way he uses it, uses it in this book, it it really helps getting the point across because it's very plain English, very plain language for um, all of the things that are wrong with the self-help industry. One of the reasons that we started usebecause.com was to was to give people the tools that they need to to do whatever it is they wanted to do, whether professionally or personally, uh, to become a leader, to become better at sales, to have more um, self-confidence or self-esteem that's that's the whole idea is to still these books down into uh manageable chunks and then go and deliberately practice uh, these things from the books and this book does it brilliantly this book is it lays out the names of the chapters are uh are really interesting because um they are the the, the anti-self-help really for example chapter one is called don't try uh chapter two is called happiness is a problem three is you're not special four is the value of suffering five is you're always choosing uh, six is you're wrong with everything and it goes on like that what i want to do is i want to take you through some of the key takeaways from this book uh, as we always do the the book itself is is worth like i think it's sold about 10 million copies um, around the world and i can see why it's a quick read you'd read it you know if you had an afternoon without any, without any distractions you'd get through it in an afternoon probably depending on their ability to read, speed of reading, I should say. Um, but that's always a problem for me when it comes to, to people saying, you know, I read this book in an afternoon. So what? <laughs> like, who cares? Um, the speed you read something is not as important as what you actually glean from it, what you actually take from it, what you actually go out and deliberately practice. So I spent probably a couple of weeks reading this book and taking it slowly and thinking about it and um, reflecting on things and digesting what, what was in the these chapters but i'm going to give it to you in um well probably half an hour 40 minutes whatever this will take and see what you think but i think you should probably go and read the book as well and um, which i think you should read all the books that we do in the podcast but this one especially seems to be if you're interested in plain english and if you're interested in you know no frills and nobody telling you how special and great you are and that we all deserve um everything we ever desired if that all sounds a bit bullshitty then this is this book is the one for you so chapter one is called uh don't try and um, what he's getting at in this in this chapter is that all the self-help things that are out there all whether it's you know seminars or webinars these days the books the uh the courses that you can do what they're always what they're always trying to get you to do is to is to is to strive for something right i want to be a millionaire i want to have a six pack i want to um, be in a loving marriage right all of these things are good things to have but his point in this book at the very beginning is that you are enough 
whatever you are at the moment, it's enough. You can, and he kind of, I suppose he kind of starts off making the point and kind of to, to set out a stall. He, he starts off by making the point that, you know, it's all bullshit and, um, you know, staying positive is a waste of time and all that. But then he kind of pulls it back a little bit and he says, well, the way you are at the moment is fine and it's okay to, to, to want to be better in your job or to earn more money or like to have the six pack, whatever the thing is, that's okay. But what it does is it fixates, it gets you to fixate on, on what you're lacking. And because you're always striving for the next thing, you're never actually really that happy with what you have at the moment. So it's all, it's like um, the philosopher Alan Watts would say, it's all wretch and no vomit, right? Which is a strong way of putting it. But it's almost like you're, you're always kind of trying to get to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, which is what a lot of self-help tries to get you to do. It's all about crushing it and, um, you know, productivity and, you know, all those things are, are good, but you have to weigh it up. Well, what I am at the moment and who I am is enough. I am good enough. The way that the way he kind of and I, I agree with him in, in this point, he says the way that the 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 self help industry is set up is it's very much like the the path to a better life is just to have more more more, just to always just get try and get more stuff, and it doesn't necessarily mean more material wealth. It could be you know you have to be happier, you have to have a better relationship, you have to um eat healthier, you have to be more productive, all of those things, and it's always kind of the 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 undertone of all that self-help stuff is very much the path to a better life is more and more and more and it, it just isn't true what you are at the moment is enough and this is what he talks about in the book as well is that the subtle art of not giving a fuck is essentially about you have a certain amount of fucks to give right you can only care about so many things so you have to decide what it is you're actually going to care about um he talks about then the the, the feedback loop from hell right uh and, and again this is something I, I don't know what it was about this book it was just it just seemed to to hit me sometimes you read a book and it's just the right book at the right time one book for me previously was mastery by robert green um, which i did a podcast on but it does doesn't do it justice so i'll i'll be straight up and this is the, this one again it's just the right book at the right time for me where I'm building use because and I'm um you know I'm busy with my my kids and all that kind of stuff and you know living through a pandemic and all that and it was it was just the right book for me to kind of say right well just relax right and he talks about this food feedback loop from hell so it's it's things like you know why am I so anxious why am I so worried all the time and that leads you to then thinking well uh because I'm so anxious or worried or whatever the, the negative thing is all the time, it just kind of feeds itself. I'll give you an example. I was talking to a friend of mine a while ago about, you know, I feel like I should be using the, the extra time that I have because I'm working from home all the time. I feel like I should be using the extra time to, you know, be more productive or to do more things. And he was like, what extra time? There's no extra time. What are you talking about? Like a 40 minute commute in the morning? Like you don't actually have, I still have a full-time job that I have to work at. I'm still um have kids I have to to feed and and uh you know spend time with and do all those things and I've then I've got the extra uh baggage of doing homeschooling all that stuff as well and and that and that was the the first part of me kind of starting to actually I don't have that much extra time and then reading this book then as well I was like and you know what it's okay that I'm not killing myself um getting loads of things done because we're all sitting at home all the time so that feedback loop from hell is something you need to be aware of that 
if you're all the time this self-talk that you have if it's a negative or if it's uh if you're beating yourself up over things uh you have to um kind of i suppose just acknowledge that it exists first of all but then take it easy on yourself ultimately is is the is the point i think and this is something else that I, I've I already knew this one, but as again, it was a great one to to be reminded of is to is to don't strive to be happy. I actually hate the word strive. <laughs> it's um, it's a it's it's you know corporations talk about we strive to be the best. I hate it. It just drives me mad. But anyway, he he has this in the book to don't strive right. Don't strive to be happy, um, or to have a perfect life or to not have problems. You have to fall in love with the process, and success will come. The, and it's it's like um I think later on in the book he calls it the, the backwards law. The less you give a shit about something, or the less you give a fuck about something, the more likely it is to happen. And you know, you know what it's it's like, uh, you know, when you're young and you're you're you may be trying to do something intimate with somebody of the opposite sex or somebody of the same sex or you know somebody that you might fancy. The the more you try, the more desperate you look. Right? The less you care, the less you give a fuck, the easier it is, right? Uh, the, the more it just kind of just kind of comes to you, it just, just happens. And this is the point here is that, like, if, if you're all the time anxious and trying to do more things and you end up making mistakes and you end up, um, you know, rushing too much and never actually stopping to smell the roses ultimately. And that's the, I, the one thing I took away from this whole book and it's something I hope people take away from useful cause as well it's something I always try to have as the as the undercurrent if you like of, of everything that we do and that's that you have to just be happy in the moment you have to just enjoy what you're doing now even the struggle the the actual there is no path to happiness the path is happiness I know lots of people have said that and said things like that over the years I actually remember Ricky Gervais of all people saying it but I remember him saying that and thinking that's exactly true. It's a perfect way of putting it. There is no path to happiness. The path is happiness. That struggle to 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 finish something or the struggle to figure something out or to solve a problem. That that makes you happy. It's one of the things I often say to people as well is that the it doesn't really matter what your job is as long as you're solving problems in a good team. I truly believe that. I, I've had lots of jobs where I've done lots of different things. But the ones I remember are, are, are when I solved interesting problems with a bunch of interesting people. It's the, it's the process of figuring things out and, and obviously seeing that the result at the end is important, but that's not what makes you happy. It's not the result. It's the, it's the, the, the process of figuring something out, I think. Um, and also, one of the things to keep in mind is that, and this is, this is, uh, this is 101 for self-help, but success is subjective what I consider successful might not necessarily be what somebody else considers successful. So if you want everyone else to think you're successful, some people just might think you're a fucking idiot. And some people think you're amazing. All that really matters is what you think of yourself. So at the end of this first chapter of, of Don't Try, he says, you know, the more you strive and try for things, the the, hard, the more you beat yourself up for not having it. And like with most goals in life, as you start to, realize a goal or as you start to kind of come towards uh achieving a goal generally the goalposts move and you, and you start thinking about what's the next thing like once you have your first million dollars your first million euro or million pound whatever it is you start thinking about well what if, imagine if i had 10 you're it's like so you're you, you never actually reach the 
that sense of perfection or that sense of having a perfect life. So you have to be happy in the process. You have to be happy in the struggle. So yeah, Alan Watts calls it the, the, the backwards law. Um, the more you pursue the positive stuff, the more it reinforces that you don't have it. There's a philosopher called uh, Albert Camus, I think is how you pronounce his name. He says, you'll never be happy if you continue to search for what happiness consists of. You will never live if you are continuously searching for the meaning of life. Again, this is not the kind of stuff I expected to find in this book. But it's one of those things that makes you stop and think, oh, do I do that? Am I all the time looking for the, for the meaning of life? And so I'm never actually living. Or am I all the time trying to get to happiness or searching for what happiness consists of? What is the thing that's going to make me happy? If I'm all the time thinking about what is it that's going to make me happy? You're, you'll never get it because it's, it's, it's constantly changing. It has to be the struggle. It has to be the, the, the enjoyment of the process. And that's what the backwards law is that there, there's comfort in the struggle. That you have to, you're not looking for a life without problems. You're looking for a life with problems that are interesting to solve. So the end of this chapter says, look, adversity is a real thing. No matter who you are, no matter what you do for a living, you have problems. Of course, if you have money, if you have, uh, you know, the, the, what's that, the hierarchy of needs, you know, the, the what's his name? His name will come back to me. It's the uh, uh, Maslow. Um, I can't think of his first name. Maslow. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? The, once you have, you know, safety and food and shelter and all that, you can kind of start moving up the, this hierarchy of needs. But everyone, every stage of that has problems, has its own adversity. So what you have to decide is, what are you going to give a fuck about? There will always be adversity, there will always, but you only have a certain amount of fucks to give. And if you only have a certain amount of fucks to give, you have to decide, well, where am I actually going to give these fucks to? Am I going to give a fuck about my job, about my relationship, about uh, what other people think of me? Probably not that one, obviously. But you have to think about where am I actually going to decide to um, put my efforts? Or put What kind of struggles do I want to have? The one I'm always reminded of is um, uh, Conor McGregor, the, the the UFC fighter, or MMA fighter. I know he has had a lot of you know personal issues and um, been accused of certain things that I don't know if he did them or not. But if you just look at his fighting record or his fighting style or his rise through the ranks, basically, he faced adversity many times. And he didn't shy away from it or try and uh, talk his way out of it. He faced it full on. And, um, like, don't get into all the details, but he fought a guy called Nate Diaz at 170 pounds, right? That was the weight class. And he lost. Lost badly. Uh, he was um, a rear naked choke. But he didn't go back to his normal weight class, which is 155 pounds. He wanted to stay at 170 and have the rematch immediately. He wanted to get it back. And that's what you call facing adversity. Now, it might sound as, you know, a bit dramatic. And if you don't know what UFC is, you don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, it's a great it's a great way to understand the mentality that somebody can have, no matter who they are, that they they want to they want to find the positives in the struggle. They want to actually uh, enjoy the struggle because uh, in, on, on some level, they know that that's where the happiness really lies which leads on to chapter two happiness is a problem 
Um, and I've kind of touched on this already, the idea that you will never not have problems, right? Warren Buffett has money problems, right? Elon Musk, who has recently announced as the richest man in the world, he has problems, right? He has um, five or six kids, I think now, and um, he's running, I don't know, 20 companies or whatever it is that he's running. He still has problems. He still has, has stresses and things he has to sort out. Just because he has lots of money doesn't mean that those problems go away. He could, obviously, he could... You think about this, he could sell everything that he owns, right? He could sell Tesla, he could sell uh, SpaceX and uh, Solar City and the Boring Company and all those different things that he owns and have all the money in the world. But he'd be bored. He'd have, he'd have an existential crisis on his hands then. He would think, well, I'm capable of doing all these things and what am I just sitting around being a billionaire? It's boring. I guarantee he he would be bored if he, didn't, if he wasn't doing what he was doing. So he knows how to enjoy his problems, if you, if you ask me. In chapter two as well, he talks about um, happiness being a problem, right? That's the name. Happiness is a problem is the name of the chapter. But he says that people fuck themselves in two ways. One is that they deny that they have any problems. And you've all seen these people who, you know, everything's great all the time. No problems. Everything's amazing. Um, and what they'll generally do is they'll use constant distractions to get away from their actual problems. So first thing they do is they'll either... Um, be in total denial that there's any problems or they have a victim mentality they're totally powerless like i'm in a dead-end job and it's all someone else's fault it's not my fault i've applied for loads of jobs um there's outside circumstances that are that are stopping me from getting a job and those those kinds of those kinds of things are what stop you from becoming happy ultimately but he does say that happiness is a problem because let, let's say Let's say you're you're that first person who's in denial all the time. I have no problems. I'm happy, happy, smiley, smiley face. Uh, you're striving for having no problems, right? You're you're trying to get to a point where you have no problems, or the second part, and but you're not really happy because you're all the time having to distract yourself. The second person who has the victim mentality, they're also not happy because they they, they think their happiness is dependent on on external forces and things that they. Uh, have no control over and in fact both people are wrong because they should be trying to uh, find happiness in the struggle of solving the problems the key is to make sure you have the right problems to solve that you're giving a fuck about the right things he also says then that negative emotions are a call to action your emotions in general are like uh, it's like when the red light comes on in the car it tells you that there's that there's a, there's a problem with the car. If you just disconnect the red light in the car, that doesn't solve the problem. Same thing if you have a headache, right? Taking a, a tablet to get rid of the headache doesn't solve the problem. You're you know, dehydrated or you're tired or um, you get some oxygen or whatever the thing is. Right? You can't just, and it's the same with your emotions. Having a negative emotion isn't necessarily a bad thing. It, it should wake you up to something. It should be an indication of something. And he makes a great point in, in the book as well. He says, think about this. Just because something feels good doesn't mean it's good for you. And just because something feels bad doesn't mean it's bad for you. And again, that was profound. Obviously, the, the first part is, you know, everyone knows um, like a simple example might be drinking too many pints, right? You know, it might feel good in the moment, but ultimately it's bad for your health. You're going to have a hangover in the morning. But the opposite one is what really kind of stopped me in my tracks. And that's actually true as well. If that's true, that if something feels good doesn't necessarily mean it is good. 
uh, then the opposite has to be true as well. Just because something feels bad doesn't mean it is bad. It's like all that really is is like a red light in, in the car coming on. Like if something feels bad, if I'm if I'm uh, stressed about something or anxious, then then maybe that's just like a, a red light. That I think, well, what am I stressed about? What am I? What can I do about that? What's the problem there to be solved? And should I give a fuck about it in the first place? So the negative mo emotions are a call to action. Is what he calls them. And he says that the the problem with happiness is that we think if everything is perfect, we'll 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 reach that that sense of happiness. But it just isn't out there, right? If I just work hard enough, if I just uh, party hard enough, if I just talk positively to myself enough, then everything will be perfect. the f The trick is to is to accept that there are problems, accept that there is adversity, accept that there is struggle, and, and face it head on and deal with it. And that's where your happiness is. That's where you can become happy when you start to solve problems. For personally, what I do is a to-do list, right? I know it doesn't work for everybody, but if I feel like I'm overwhelmed with things to do, I literally get a pen and paper and I write down bullet points of everything I need to do. And I look at it and say, what's, what's the first thing I need to do? What's the most important thing? And I do it and I cross it off and then do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And and it's solving those kinds of problems. It's kind of getting it straight in my own head to begin with is the, is the first part. But then actually going and, and getting those things done, that sense of satisfaction is pretty immense then. So um, that's what I do is is I try and I, I try and, and, and pick my way through my problems. And it's all there's always a sense of satisfaction with that. And do you know what I think as well, actually, as I'm sitting here talking to myself? It's almost like this, uh, not almost, it is exactly like this podcast, that I started this podcast without really knowing what I was doing. If you go back and listen to the first few episodes, <laughs> you can maybe say the first, the first 39 episodes, um, I believe this is number 40, Uh I don't know. What, I don't. I didn't know what I was doing. Right? If, if I waited and waited and waited until I was absolutely perfect at, at doing a podcast, then I'd never do it. I, it's like Alan Watts said: "All wretch and no vomit." I'm, wait, I'm just waiting for perfection. Once everything is set up correctly, then I'll go and do it. But what you have to do is to is to struggle through the process. Is to figure out the process. Now I don't know where you're listening to this podcast as, and I don't know what app you're listening uh, listen to it on, what podcast addict or. Uh, Stitcher or um, iTunes, all the different ways you can do. It. But I had to figure all that out. How to actually, how do I get it out onto all of those, all of those platforms? And that is really satisfying to figure those kinds of things out. Is uh, is to fall in love with the process rather than waiting for perfection, and thinking that that's where happiness is going to lie is in that perfection because it's not. Chapter three then is you're not special. Um. <laughs> We've all been, and this is true, we've all been sold this idea that uh, you can only feel good about yourself when you have a good reason to feel good about yourself, right? If I've, if I've achieved all of these things, if I've achieved all my goal, then the, the underlying theme is that then I'll feel good about myself. That self-esteem is linked to, uh, or it's measured against my achievements, and again, in this book, he makes another great point. He said, your self-esteem should be measured against how you feel about the negative aspects of your own character. If you have flaws, and I guarantee you, you have flaws, or I have flaws, 
we all have these things that we either technical things we can't do or things we don't like about ourselves or um you know mistakes we keep making things we keep fucking up whatever it is uh your self-esteem should be measured against how you feel about those things and what you're doing about them and he says that you're not, you're not special i think you're special mark manson the author he doesn't think you're special i think you're special the way he, he makes this point about us, um, we're, we're not specialists, that we're all bombarded these days with uh, content, right? Things bubble up to the surface on, on YouTube or Twitter or whatever your preferred um, uh, drug <laughs> of choices. Wherever you get your content, right? Only the most extreme things uh, go viral. The funniest tweets, the uh, the most ridiculous videos, right? All that stuff. It, you don't really tune into the average stuff. So our understanding of what everyone else is doing is skewed, right? The best looking people um, become the biggest influencers on TikTok and Instagram and whatever else. And so our understanding of what, what, what normal is, is skewed. Because once we log into all of these different social media accounts, all we see are the extremes. Like I said, the extreme the, the the funniest video best looking people um but the fact is that most of us have an average life um it's the extremities that get publicity but most of most of our life is mundane even the people who are in those extreme videos are the extremely good looking people or the um extremely successful people most of their lives are mundane as well your life is going <laughs> this is a mad one but it's true your most of your life is going to be boring and you have to embrace it and enjoy the process right it's ultimately comes down to what what the buddhists talk about is that you have to just be happy in the moment and it's it's a very simple thing but it is far from easy it's simple to understand but it is so difficult to achieve in 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 real life and on a day-to-day -day basis is to is to em, em, embrace the suck as they say in the navy seals uh, is to enjoy the process, is to enjoy the struggle. And that's what will make you happy, is, in, is, is, is trying. That's, what, that's, that's ultimately what we're trying to do, is we're, we're, we're trying to enjoy the struggle. Which is, kind of leads into chapter four then, which is the, the value of suffering. He tells this mad story, and I kind of, I think I'd heard, of, you know, I vaguely remembered this story um, from years ago. Uh, but never really knew much, all that much about it. About this guy who spent decades in the jungle after World War Two. His name was uh, Hiro Onoda. O O Onoda Onoda. I've written down here Hiro Onoda. He spent from 1943, I think, until 1973 or 75 or something like that, uh, in the jungle. Um, even though World War Two had ended. Uh, leaflets had been dropped into the jungle to tell him it was over and it was time to come out and he just didn't believe it because he felt that his suffering meant something he felt that he was given an instruction to never surrender by the the uh by his japanese commander so he was never ever going to surrender he he felt there was merit in his suffering and that it actually meant something um now it's an extreme example of how somebody will will use suffering and uh, try and and 
I, I guess he was finding value in that suffering like that like i said it this this means something that i'm i'm but like to do for three decades is that's a commitment to the bit um but the the point is that that what what he what he makes is uh is you're gonna have to give a fuck about something right the book is called the subtle art of not giving a fuck but you do have to care about something right it's just how life is right this guy in the jungle he cared about no surrender and that's what he's that's what he chose as his struggle but really your your struggle whatever you decide that you're going to to care about is going to be based on um on your values right on what you find most valuable now value values are things like you know honesty and um uh camaraderie or uh you know achievement whatever the thing is that you that 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 you're going to care about that's what you're going to give that's ultimately what you're going to give a fuck about that that's that's your value but the point is that you could you could care about things um that are actually fucking up your life so for example he tells this story um about this guy who got kicked out of a band and the band went on to be uh huge and he mentions or tell the other part of the story the guy got kicked out of the band he started his own band who also went on to do, to do very well and the, the band he got kicked out of was metallica and the band that he started was called megadeth so metallica sold whatever 200 million albums whatever that they is they've sold around the world and megadeth sold 25 million albums and this guy uh dave mustaine is his name felt like an absolute failure even though he'd sold 25 million albums and the reason is because he was kicked out of a band who sold 200 million his values were off he wasn't enjoying the struggle of of uh of what he was doing with his own band he was all the time looking at what he'd missed out on and then the flip side of that coin to tell a story about pete best right um the the beetle who never was essentially he was kicked out of the beatles and favor ringo Starr just before they they um took off and he's now pete best struggled with that for years but he eventually made peace with it to the point where he's recently i think opened i think it was a few years ago he gave an interview where he said you know, i've really had a great life i've um, spent time with my kids and my grandkids i've had a, a decent career and um, he had the pete best all-star band or something it was called travel the world and um, without all the hassle of being in the beatles which is you know it might sound like um he's just trying to put a brave face on it but you listen to the interview you think he really does he really does appreciate the life that he's had and, and, and not being part of the Beatles was um was one of the best things that ever happened to him so really what this this point of this chapter is in that story those two stories about Dave Mustaine and, and Pete Best is to understand how how the same thing can happen to two people but they can have totally different uh reactions to it and it's that reaction that's going to determine you know how your life is going to be or 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 your state of happiness i suppose um there's a great there's a great equation i heard years ago about this and it kind of it ties into this here and it's e plus or equals o so e stands for the event right things that happen in your life that you have no control over things that you just you know somebody lets a door slam in your face somebody kicks you out of the beatles 
get kicked out of Metallica, um, you break your leg, you lose your job, um, somebody dies close to you. Like all of those things are events, things that happen that you have no control over, right? Things that you can't um, have an impact on. So it's E plus R equals O. And O stands for the outcome. Um, and that outcome can have, you know, lots of different variations. It could be how you feel about something, um, how somebody else feels about it, this, you know, the measure of success, whatever it is. So if E is the event and O is the outcome, what's R? Well, R is your reaction. So it's E plus R equals O. Your reaction to the event will determine your outcome. So Pete Best's reaction to the event, he eventually got to a point where he made peace with it. Whereas this guy in Megadeth, um, Dave Mustaine, never really made peace with it and, and never really enjoyed the success. So E plus R equals O. Think of it this way, a really simple example. I've, I think I've said this before on a podcast, but imagine somebody lets a door slam in your face. Um, you're walking into a building or something and, and the person in front of you lets the, doesn't hold the door for you. That's an event, right? You can't you can't have any uh, impact on, on that person not holding the door for you. But how you react to that will determine your outcome. You could call that person every name under the sun in your head. Or you could just decide, I wonder is that person having a really bad day? Or maybe they've just won the lottery. Or maybe their uh, their spouse has just died. Right? You don't you don't know what's going on in people's heads. So, but your reaction to it will determine the outcome. And that outcome, if you're going to call that person every name under the sun, they could... Uh, they, they won't know right they'll have no impact on them but your your adrenaline spikes puts you in a bad mood um but you can just d- decide how you're going to react to these events right that's that's kind of and that's going to be based on your values as well he makes a point as well about some shitty values that people can have um that can lead you to make the wrong decisions or can 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 lead you to giving a fuck about things that you shouldn't really care about Things like um, immediate pleasure or material success or having to always be right or staying positive, right? If that's one of your values is that I always have to stay positive, uh, that means it just your problems perpetuate because you're burying them, which is so true, right? It, it, I always think with these these books, they, they have to kind of set their stall out and, and say, this is what I believe and this is the gospel, according to, in this case, Mark Manson. But you have to kind of temper that with the other stuff as well. He's saying that staying positive all the time is um, it's it's bad because you're not facing your problems. Whereas another book, they might say, well, staying positive is what's going to help you solve your problems. It's about finding that balance. If you're all the time staying, po- you'll know yourself in your own head. If you're staying positive and you know that you're just staying positive to, to bear your own problems, then that's not good for you. But if staying positive helps you to, to, to work towards a solution, that's good too, right? His point here is that if you're staying positive to uh, to bury your problems, then it's not going to work out in the end. Chapter six then is that you're always choosing, right? You're always, you always have to care about something. Um, he talks then another, this again stopped me because of the way it was phrased. There are things that happen in your life that are not your fault, but are your responsibility. And this is about choice as well. The example he gives is imagine if somebody left a baby on your doorstep, right? That's not your fault, but it's now your responsibility. Your responsibility is that you can choose to adopt the child and raise them as your own, or you could feed the dog or feed the, feed the baby to, to a pit bull dog. 
which is what he said in the book, that's your responsibility. It's not your fault this baby landed on your doorstep, but it's now your responsibility. Just like it might not necessarily be your fault that you're overweight. It might not necessarily be your fault that you lost your job or that you are living through a pandemic. It's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. There's a great quote I remember hearing years ago that it's, it's your parents' fault you're turned out the way you did, but it's your fault for staying like that. So if there's, a, if there's an issue, if there's something that is uh, constantly nagging at you, whatever the thing is, then it might not necessarily be your fault, but you have to face up and go, right, well, I need to, I need to take care of this. It's your responsibility. And that's, a, that, that's what stopped me is the, is, the, is the difference between fault and responsibility. Like it's, to me, it was just, I, I, I suppose I, I knew it there was a difference but I'd, I'd never seen it written down going that's so true things can happen it's not your fault but now I have to deal with it so tough shit I just have to deal with it there's a pandemic it's not my fault okay but I just how do I how do I find a path to uh to giving a fuck about the right things basically throughout this whole thing um taking responsibility for problems is uh is the first step to solving them which is ultimately what they talk about in extreme ownership um, which is one of our mo- more recent podcasts extreme ownership they talk about making sure that you no matter what happens in your team you take responsibility because um, that's the first step to solving the problem and, and it's it's reflected in this book as well next chapter then is uh, <laughs> you're wrong about everything that's you not me I'm never wrong about anything which is of course a, a joke um, you're wrong about everything and if you approach things from the point of view of uh, I'm right about everything, then you're missing out on opportunities for learning. And if you're missing out on opportunities for learning, you're missing out on opportunities for growth. He says, sometimes people can take comfort in the fact that, that they don't want to test what they believe. I'm completely undateable. I never get promoted. Um, everything I try, I can never lose weight, right? All of those things. Uh, if you just believe those things and you believe you're right about those things, then you'll never push, you'll never test the boundaries of that or, or the, the validity of it. And this is what he's saying is if you approach things, go, well, I'm probably wrong about this. It's a, it's a subtle balance, I suppose, to decide, well, to have confidence in what you're saying, but to actually, you balance it with a sprinkle of doubt. And that doubt is what's going to allow you to learn, right? If you, it's like, I think I said it in, in a few of the, the episodes we did on, on negotiation. If you go into a negotiation thinking, I've seen this a hundred times before, I know exactly what's going to happen. You're completely cutting yourself off from picking up on the subtleties of what's happening in the negotiation. If you go in just assuming that you're right about everything, chances are you're going to, uh, you're going to fuck it up because um, it's arrogance it's, it's to assume that you're, that you're right about everything all the time. So that kind of certainty is dangerous right it closes off to opportunities to grow and to improve essentially it's a big problem with social media these days is that uh, the algorithms that run social media are tailored to tell us what or to to reflect back to us what we already believe and that's how you end up that's how you end up with those echo chambers that's how you end up with people storming the capital in in in, in washington i think is that uh, social media tells us what we want to hear 
and it reinforces our certainty and you have to fight back against it to allow to allow yourself to be wrong and to allow yourself to learn and to grow essentially um which leads to chapter seven which is a uh, failure is the way forward he tells a story about picasso in a cafe who was doodling on a napkin and uh went to throw it in the bin and somebody had been watching him the whole time and said can i can i have that and he goes yeah sure no problem it's twenty thousand dollars and she said, $20,000, it only took you a couple of minutes to do it. And he said, it didn't take me a couple of minutes to do it. It took me 60 years to do that. You have to fail your way to success. For him to be able to do what he did was him failing his way to success. It's a improvement or mastery of anything comes from thousands of little failures. So even though in those couple of minutes... Picasso was able to just scribble something probably amazing onto a onto a napkin. It it's the time it took him to to learn how to do that. That's what you're paying the twenty thousand dollars for. It's like the, I heard a, a similar kind of analogy, I suppose, or story years ago about you know there's a guy who owns a factory and um, got this huge big machine and the machine shudders to a to a stop, and he has to call the repair guy and the repair guy comes in, looks at the machine, takes out his hammer and wax the machine and uh, comes back on and he says to the guy you know it's twenty thousand dollars and the guy says how's that twenty thousand dollars all you did was hit it with a hammer he goes you're not paying me to hit it with the hammer you're paying me because i know how and where to hit with the hammer and that took me 20 years to learn it's like just because it's simple and easy for you to do right now it doesn't mean you shouldn't charge money for it you have to think about all the work that went into getting you to the point where it's simple and easy for you to do. Um, and that's what failure will do. You have to fail to succeed. John Kavanagh, who's actually Conor McGregor's coach, wrote a book called Win or Learn. He doesn't call it Win or Lose. He said, you don't, you don't, you don't lose, you learn things. And that's, what, that's what failure can be considered. To be. It's considered to be feedback. Okay, that didn't work out. Let's try it a different way. Okay, that didn't, like Thomas Edison created 10,000 versions of the light bulb before he actually got the light bulb to work right he didn't he failed his way to success it's like a kid learning to walk they don't fall over once and go well i guess walking's not for me they keep trying they fail their way to success so if you fear failure it's because you have shitty values it's because you just want to be perfect all the time you want to stay positive you want to have immediate success if you're afraid of failure that's what it is if you're afraid to try because you're, you're going to uh, be seen to look silly or whatever, everybody fails. It's only when companies get really big or, or you know, entrepreneurs get really successful that they, they, they basically butcher their story to, to, to make sure that only the good bits come out. Um, they don't talk about the, the hours spent staring at a screen not knowing what to do next, right? It's, you have to fail your way to, to success. Pain is part of the process. You get to decide what the pain means. E plus R equals O. The event plus your reaction gives you your outcome. I'll give you an example. When I was probably 12 or 13 years old, I got my first job, which was a paper round. Remember newspapers? I used to go and deliver them all around the, the houses. Um, and you used to have to collect the money on the Friday. So people would pay for their newspapers. And I was like 12, 13. I remember like I'd have this big huge purse thing like this with a big zip on it and all the money would be in there and I'd have to you know have a little book with what people owed and give them their change and all that kind of stuff 
and uh, it was great. I really enjoyed the job, right? It was a um, great sense of um, being a grown-up. But I remember the very, very first time that I got paid. I used to get paid £10 a week. And I remember the first time I got paid, I got two £5 notes. And I remember looking at them and it being really, really profound. Because I obviously, you know, I've got grandmothers and stuff and people would give you money like um to buy sweets and stuff but it, there was n nothing like earning the money for the first time there was nothing like uh having to actually go and figure out how to deliver newspapers and how to figure out how to give people their change and all that and to to maintain all that money there was nothing like it like, and it's it's the same thing as like failing your way to success it's all those little mistakes I probably made along the way that I was probably blissfully unaware of. But but when I got handed that money, I, I earned it. That was my money. It wasn't just handed to me, I earned it. And it's the same with success. Failure is the way forward. One of the last chapters then is uh, it's called And Then You Die, <laughs> which is true, right? Uh, he talks about this guy, uh, Becker, who is a, uh, a, f a philosopher, I think. And he wrote this book called Denial of Death. And he said the humans have what's called death terror, right? And we're the only animal capable of contemplating our own deaths. And it informs everything that we do. And because of that, there are two selves that we're all the time trying to maintain. One is the, the physical self, the one who eats and sleeps and um, laughs and cries and so on. And then it's the conceptual self. The one that we're... Like we, we, because we can contemplate our own deaths we know that the physical self will die so we try and keep the conceptual self alive and according to becker what we do is what's called immortality projects which is where all of society has come from it's everything that you see and can touch and understand and feel everything in society has come from somebody's immortality project buildings and and televisions and uh windows right stuff i'm looking at at the moment bottles of whiskey <laughs> all of that stuff it's all somebody's immortality project they want to put their name on a building they want to put their name on something that they've invented like creating a podcast called usebecause.com and a platform to go along with it it's an immortality project you want you know that your physical self is going to die but you want your your conceptual self to continue living he finishes the book towards the end with a quote from another uh, philosopher called Charles Bukowski. And it's this. We're all going to die, all of us. What a circus. That alone should make us love each other, but it doesn't. We're terrorised and flattened by trivialities. We're eaten up by nothing. And so I always take... What, what I took away from this book is essentially this. You need to decide... What to give a fuck about and then get after it hey before you go just a quick message about usebecause.com and what we're all about we believe that true learning happens when you understand remember and deliberately practice your newly acquired knowledge so with that in mind you can get access to our purpose-built learning tools to help you do just that to really embed the knowledge from this episode take a look at the interactive summary that goes along with it and then use the action log to set a time and a date to go out into the big bad world and deliberately practice the key takeaways from this episode. You do all that and you get yourself a certificate of completion. So try all our tools for all of our episodes free for a month 
you can cancel any time. For all of this and all of the podcast episodes, head over to usebecause.com. Until next time. Thank you.